Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Novak Djokovic is in the midst of his round-robin stage, two matches down at the time of recording, a 2-0 record at the ATP Finals in Turin. We will get to that, talk about his upcoming semifinal match with Zvera, but first, uh, Roger Federer has this is always kind of a corny phrase that we use in the media he has broken his silence uh but I, it's maybe appropriate this time usually it's very uh, corny uh but Federer breaks the silence about his recovery from injury and does um an interview so we do have quotes uh, this was with swiss media uh but it's been translated to english by a fellow by the name of simon groff so let's run through that. And I just want to start off with the first thing he said about his return. Uh, very cut and dry. He says, I would be incredibly surprised if I were to play again already at Wimbledon. Um, Australia is not an option at all, but that's no surprise for me. Even before the operation, we knew that a break of many months would be necessary afterwards. So we have some insight into Roger's schedule. It's not great news if you are hoping to see Roger early in 2022. No, it's many, many moons ago on this show, I said it would be helpful if we knew what the injury was. And one of the big takeaways from this long interview that Roger gave was that we know now that it's a meniscus problem. So it's not a ligament, the ACL or the MCL. And to me, that's good news. I mean, I have friends that play through their torn meniscus and it heals spontaneously and they don't even need surgery. Um, I have friends that have had a meniscus tear and have had minimally invasive surgery, which may be what Roger tried to have in the beginning. Um, it's just overall doesn't tend to be as serious of a, of a deal. So I can see why Roger would say, I'm not going to retire just yet. And I, I'm glad that we now have clarity on that. And um, I know that a lot of his fans have been suffering in limbo. So I thought this was a good thing for him to give an interview. I think that's nice to know as well. Um, there was also cartilage work done. So that that becomes, you know, without being an expert on this, uh, deeper rooted like arthritic pain that can emerge when when your cartilage breaks down and and that I want to add in addition to the meniscus Joel well you know what's that phrase always time waits for no one but god I we always thought wait if anyone if anyone was going to defy it it was the guy who knew all about time you know the way Federer manages time was Switzerland his his sense of timing and meaning and all that and yet uh it's a hard thing to deal with to think, wow, we might not even see him for Wimbledon or maybe even after and, and how that's going. And it just shows you probably the, obviously the extent of this and the rehab and, and the complicated path. And it's nice. I like, I like the way Federer explains these things. 
I find that really kind of refreshing. It's not cryptic. It's not vague. I mean, it takes a little while, but then you kind of get, okay, here's where things are. Yeah, I agree. I appreciate that too. And, and you know, I was in the minority and Amy, I think you disagreed with me as well on Twitter talking about why tennis players are often very cryptic about their injuries and they don't want to reveal anything. I have some more sympathy for, for why athletes would do that in certain other sports. But, but my impression is that you, you aren't giving up much of a, of a advantage by talking about, let's say you have a shoulder injury. Okay. Obviously without a fully functioning right arm, there's going to be some issues on the tennis court, but I don't know if you can really game plan against a player with a bum right shoulder. Uh, you know, I mean, it really just affects their game. Um, so I too think that it's, it's a good thing for the fans. And this is a common theme with Roger's entire statement is he wants to serve his fans. He says he feels like he owes it to his fans to, to keep them in the loop here, then ultimately to try to come back for the fans. Yeah, and it's so funny how people are taking this latest one because you can almost tell, is this person a overall an optimist or a pessimist in life? Because some of my friends, not that either is a bad thing, but um, some of my friends are saying, well, it was a good run, but he's basically saying this is it. And then other people, including the, the Tennis Channel um, Twitter feed is like, this is great news. He's, he's going to try to come back this summer. You know, it's, 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 it's inconclusive, but it's, um, he, again, he has not retired. And if he were, you know, were giving up, then he would be telling us that, sorry, guys, that was it. It's over. But he's like, nope, I just want to wait and see how I do with this. And even I don't know how I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to try one more time. Right, and it's all, and both are true. Right, the, the the run is nearing, the run is nearing its end, and so he's, in some ways, kind of preparing it, us for it, and he's going to try to give it a go, and they're all fine, and it's kind of also a neat thing about individual sports that allow you to do this. It's not like he, if if he was a team sport guy, he might be playing a role a few minutes a game, he'd be phased out, or he'd be drastically hurting the productivity of the team. Yeah, good point. Yeah neither is true in this case so do what you want roger and we'll just and, and keep in touch and i hope i mean maybe and maybe we'll see things i can just see i can see the we're used to this the, the future tweet the crutches the walking the, the first practice hey you saw it amy uh, earlier this year you saw like one tweet of him hitting a ball or two and you're like eh, i'm not quite sure he's got it remember when you did that earlier this year yeah yeah, that was um, like there's a pruder. Yeah, it was the backhand, the backhand. Yeah, it, it just wasn't. And even he, if you looked at it very closely, was kind of shaking his head a little bit. So, yeah, but I thought it was kind of like reading it. It's like, okay, so it's one backhand poorly. But you thought you had the intuitive sense to say, oh, no, he's dissatisfied with something bigger. And, and that was true. So we'll, we'll wait to see Rogers. And it's interesting in the world we're in now of, um, you give an exclusive to one newspaper, you send out a tweet, maybe a video, maybe a TikTok. I, I will see. <laughs> well, on the point of Roger not really needing to do it any certain way in an individual sport, uh, I, I would just continue. And throughout this process, I'm going to continue to hammer this home because I truly believe it and that it's worth remembering. He went to South America and Africa 
and filled stadiums with 80,000 people to play exhibition matches. You know, if he wants to do a goodbye tour, he by no means needs to do that on the ATP tour. Uh, there's just no, no necessity for that. Um, let's continue with, uh, with this. And you guys can interrupt me whenever you want here um, if, if you want to stop me. Uh, but first of all, continuing what he says, uh, talking about why it took him so long to speak. I said, I wanted to wait for the first major checkup before making a public statement. And the checkup was very encouraging. I have started a long rehabilitation process in which I put all my heart and soul, but the situation is not the same as in 2016. I have to be patient, basically saying this time, I have to be more patient. Uh, about his injury, the examinations after the grass season revealed that my right inner meniscus was injured again. It had to be stitched, which required a certain period of immobilization, and the doctors took the opportunity to treat my cartilage as well. On his timetable, the doctors say that I will be able to jog lightly in January and gradually return to the court, gently. They don't know, but I've already been playing a bit of tennis with the kids. Then in March or April, I can start training again in a, and I love this term, a tennis-like way. That's shade on the kids. That means tennis with the kids is not tennis. That's what he's saying. That might have even been playing pickleball. Maybe he was playing pickleball. <laughs> but the, the, the thing about, you know, look, the five years between 35 and 40, the extent of the injury, we don't know all of it, but he's given some idea of it. I think that was very uh, thoughtful, Gil. You're right about Federer. Federer can play around the world in all sorts of ways that don't include the ATP tour that can be forms of exhibitions that can be things the labor cup can be different doubles various i think you can play the labor cup till he's 50 assuming he becomes healed enough to play tennis yeah not tennis with the kids that is kind of funny gil Double i think specialist? you need to yeah gil i think you need to get tony godsick on line two because that's a really good idea to just you know do some some exhibitions maybe in some countries that haven't had the ability to see Federer over the years that being said I really do think that he should and will try to play one of the slams again because that's just it's like where all the fans gather and where all the tennis world their attention focuses on the slams. So it yeah. sounds like from his comments that he will try to show up at a slam again. Right. So Wimbledon is kind of hanging in the balance, but that sounds, he kind of said, you know, he likes to set the bar low. Don't, don't think mm -hmm. it's going to be me at Wimbledon, but maybe it might be Wimbledon mm -hmm. because then that's the one that's he most would like to be at again and to come back to slam at the US Open. Well, we go through this with all these slams. I think, okay, I think I'm going to rank Federer's preferred slams. Uh, Wimbledon, Australian, U.S., French. You know, he didn't even mention the French. <laughs> it was like, I can't play the Australian, maybe not even Wimbledon. <laughs> French. Basically, see you guys, I, 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 well, you won't be seeing, don't, don't, no clay, no clay. I'll Man, clay you know, kid. you have to wonder at this point, after withdrawing, Winning three matches and withdrawing, not mentioning the French Open in this statement, skipping it for two years. I don't know who are and, the and FFT gets, and Roger Cool. He gets to say that he ended his role on Garros with a victory, even though it wasn't in front of a crowd and all that. But I mean, how that's many a, players can do that? <laughs> that's a nugget. 
Yeah, there you go. That's a nice, that's a bronze nugget. <laughs> yeah, not not exactly a Pete Sampras there, Amy. Yeah. Yeah, no. But um, we just don't know what's going to happen with Roger. And it sounds like he doesn't either. But it was wonderful to hear him sort of take the long view and wax a little bit about his career and say things that even we as fans have been thinking or that we might think like, I don't want to end my Wimbledon career that way with yeah. that final set that I played against her catch, you know, so that's what we're all thinking. So it was great to hear him say that out loud. Yeah, let's let, let's finish it up. Um, he said that I had this operation done so I could ski with my children uh, or play football or tennis in the future. My primary motivation was to get back in shape for my normal life, but I wanted to approach this rehabilitation with the mentality and body of a top athlete. As far as my sporting ambitions are concerned, I want to see once again what I can achieve as a tennis pro. I'm fighting for it. I'm very motivated. I feel the support of my team and family. We all wish that I can say goodbye on my own terms on a court. I have experienced similar challenges many times in my career, sometimes without the public being aware of it. And though I know that the end is near, I want to try to play some big matches again. It won't be easy, but I'll try. Um, what kind of image will people remember of me? My last set at Wimbledon last July or my Grand Slam singles titles and what triggered in them uh, when they watch me play? My money is on the latter. For a few years now, I've been pretty relaxed about that. But I do understand the fans' feelings. It would be easy for me to say, I've given a lot. I've received a lot. Let's just stop here. But me investing everything to come back is also my way of saying thank you. My fans deserve better than the image of my last grass season. Um, my world will not collapse if I never play in another Grand Slam final, but it is my ultimate dream to return once again. And in fact, I still believe in it. I believe in these kinds of miracles. I have already experienced them. That did is the figure up like, did, did he have his figure up like you there, Gil? Like he was proclaiming it. Uh -huh. I like that. You were, just, you were just acting it out. I was, you were channeling Roger. That was, uh, I, I couldn't see him he, doing that. I that, think he, that wasn't Swiss. I think he, um, I think he created, that was a fun, a curious little straw man he created between what will people remember? My, my last set at Wimbledon or the 20 majors I won. I mean, please. It's a, it's a sock puppet as, as we exactly. like to say. <laughs> exactly. Anyone, <laughs> anyone who, um, anyone who, who their lasting memory of Federer is him losing a match at Wimbledon that way doesn't know very much about tennis. I mean, geez, Louise. I mean, at some point, I think we should start thinking about, about our uh, 10 great Federer moments at slams, 10 great Federer moments elsewhere. I mean, all the joy he's given people who love and watch tennis. So we'll just see what's to come. And fortunately, I think someone put this, we'll always have YouTube. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, I mean, look, here's the deal that, that I've been thinking a lot over the last 24 hours. If things had gone differently in that final, that Wimbledon final against Novak when he had the two match points, would this be happening? Or would it have been easier for Roger to just say, I'm good? Um, that is, is kind of a bugaboo that looms large in all this. That's a great question, but I don't think he would have done that. I think he would have still enjoyed playing. Just like recall, for example, that may have been Pete Sampras' match, but he didn't announce that for many months later. He didn't say that day, and I'm out of here. And I don't think, I don't think um, individual sports work that way. I think it just, because I think Roger would have been, okay, he's a, let's, let's see, imagine he wins that Wimbledon. He's elated, that's cool. I stop. Well, I'm not saying that he might have retired then, but now would he find it easier to retire? Ah. That's the question. I yeah. It's like Wimbledon has become this this thing for him. And he he choreographs it. He tells everybody, you know, like Wimbledon, Wimbledon. Um, and I just wonder if if he had chosen a different serve direction on one of those match points or something like that and and the ball had bounced differently and and he ends up converting one of those match points then where are we today that's what i i oh, think see, but i think okay so he wins that Wimbledon. that would have been wimbledon number nine he would have won wimbledon number nine that day and so i think the notion of double digit i mean i think i think these athletes their their appetite their appetite for success is just enormous. It makes them compelling. So why not? You know, it's like maybe the statements are a little different and who knows how that Wimbledon affects them. And then the other thing is also like, I remember terms Sanford's used for a lot of stuff. He called it commentary, well, commentary. It's like, whatever, say what you want. And, and Federer, we don't even know. We'll hopefully learn more about where his body's at, where his mind is at. And uh, we'll see. And again, it's really, it's so different in an individual sport. So different than a team sport where it's like, you know what? You're not cutting it anymore, Peyton. We got to let you go. Yeah. And we gotta make room. We got to make room. The team needs someone young because we got to, we got, you know, all these dozens of other guys. We got to make a team. We got to make an organization work. There's no, no other organization for Roger Federer other than Roger Federer. And yeah. that's for all these tennis players. So. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, it is a great question. And I, I tend to think that one of the driving forces for all three of them continuing to push their limits in terms of longevity is just the fact that they're still going. So, I mean, obviously Federer would be at 21. He'd still have the, the record right now, um, assuming, assuming no, what is it? The butterfly effect that the whole world changes when something different happens, but, yeah. um, but uh, assuming no butterfly effect, um, you know, and remember I, Novak would have one less yes. or one fewer. 
Yeah, I it, yeah. I don't know, but who knows what Novak? Yeah, but this is where the butterfly effect gets. Who knows how Novak? <laughs> yeah, the twenty twenty yeah. Then maybe, yeah, maybe Novak goes on to win the calendar slam. Who knows? Yeah, we could be in nuclear war right now. Uh, World <laughs> War Four. Wow, um, I was, geez, I was, I was hoping for a parking ticket. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's it's the it's the story of the, you know, the 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 sitcom plot where you change, you go back in time, you change something, and it, everything is horrible. I'm anyway. I'm glad that's a sitcom um, for your generation. It was serious business in mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I but I, I tend to think Joel's right that there's something in these guys. They want to compete. They they have a never say die mentality that's deeply ingrained in them. And it doesn't have anything to do with what they've already accomplished. But at the same time, you know, made me certainly a thinker. No doubt about that. I got something. I want to add an anecdote that I like saying. Um, Ty Cobb was a great baseball player. And he was asked, he was great in the 10s and 20s before Babe Ruth even. And he was asked once, what would you hit if you were playing today? He goes, well, I'd hit about 305. And they go 305, but you're a lifetime, like almost 370, you hit 400 and all these things. Yeah, but I'm 71 years old. (laughs) Good for Ty. (laughs) Yeah, your fellow Georgian. Yeah. That's right. right. So, so they're the, the, how these folks see the world, how these folks see the world and themselves. I mean, Jack Kramer was 75 and he's watching some players. It's hard to imagine losing either of these boys. You know, it's just, it's just, that's yeah. And Roger, as as kind and magnanimous as he is, you know these guys are sharks, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't want to give that up. Yeah. 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 All right. Speaking of sharks, Novak Djokovic, two and zero in the group stage, taking out Casper Ruud, and then dismissing really swiftly of of Andre Rublev. Joel, did you notice anything in his first? two round robin matches he's serving really well and he's as uh as some of our colleagues like to say he's attaining purchase with that serve that serve he's serving aces he's opening up the court i mean it's it's a little altitude there's about 800 feet and it's so it's mm-hmm. kind of fast so that's probably that's sort of helping but that's a that's a really great thing and i think it shows again the novak the constant commitment to improvement and working on things and kind of what we talked recently about him serving and volleying now we're talking about him serving. I mean, and this is all this is all the kind of the, the autumn statement after the US Open and that was there, but also kind of the prelude to 2022. And it's impressive. Saw him play some doubles in Paris a couple of weeks ago, which might be a prelude to some things he might need to do in Davis Cup. So again, it's just to see Novak, the constant, constant no stern, no stone unturned approach to things. Very impressive. Two things that I see are. I think back to when he tore his abdominal early in the year and how far he's come and everything that he's accomplished, you know, while, while healing from that and some of the points where he's stretched out and he's doing his splits and, and all that, that his level of flexibility and fitness at this point in the season when younger players are withdrawing is pretty amazing. And it's, it's absolutely the standard by which everyone should, should aim. And then the other thing is um, just the, the quickness of the surface. 
when he just won on another indoor surface that was supposedly very slow and how he can adjust to different conditions just like that. So it's really, it puts him up there not only as possibly the greatest tennis player, if not the greatest tennis player ever, but maybe one of the greatest sportsmen ever. The movement, the flexibility point, Amy, you know, we should, we should really be careful not to take that for granted. Yeah. Because the fact that that's not going away at this age, I mean, it would be completely forgivable if it did. And quite frankly, you know, Rafa Nadal used to be able to do those things as well. And he just can't, his body and he's one year older. It, it doesn't do those things anymore when it comes to agility and flexibility. Uh, so, so we have that side by side. Uh, they don't have to be the same. They've always been different body types, but if you're making that comparison um, or, or really, you know, just anyone, it doesn't need to be Nadal, but this is what the show is about. I mean, the fact that Novak ha can, can still, I don't, I don't know what to call it, but, you know, push his body to those extreme limits is something that, again, we should always be reminding ourselves that that's not normal. Well, with, with Nadal, I would say it's about will, and with Novak, it's about skill. I mean, Nadal's, ability, Nadal's agility and movement was based a lot on his, his incredible competitive will. Now he did not less, less skilled. I mean, this is the thing that's made Nadal appealing to people who don't know tennis as well. You just see that, that matador warrior getting to balls and all that, and obviously agile. But Novak, Novak I mean, this stuff is worked on. You know, you see, you could, you see, it goes way back to his training and his ground strokes and his command and his ready position. You could just, I mean, I just picture him as a little, as a child bringing his racket and his lunch bag to the lesson and just doing everything she told him to do, right? Turn hip now, you know, is it a, there's a whole technical discipline that Novak has that might be the greatest ever as far as organizing his body and feet. And then when you get yourself organized like that, then you can make your scramble too, because you're so organized, it's so balanced, incredible. Yeah, and I think there's definitely some unconventional things that he does with with stretching and 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 yoga and flexibility that a lot of players there's just aren't doing, right? They're just they're ignoring it. Well, wait, who's ignoring it? Well, it's safe to say that some players or many players are ignoring some of the emphasis that Novak puts on flexibility. Now, I'm not in their training rooms at all times, so I can't say that for a fact. But I mean, you just don't see, you see Novak at the Olympics doing a split with a, <laughs> with a, uh, what are those called, Amy? Gymnasts. What, yeah. But what, what do they wear? They wear, uh, what do gymnasts wear? Leotard. A leotard. He's in a leotard doing a split. Joel, this is not something that we see from other players. So I'm willing to bet that other players are not, are, are not concerned about whether or not they can do a split, but Novak is. Well, I don't know, but I, we don't know about other players, but what I will say, I suspect any skill, I, I liken it to like compound interest from starting like a, an IRA at a younger age. And so Novak is obviously, this has been his whole career, these things, particularly the last 10, 12 years of the, of the diet and the fitness and each of these steps that he takes. I mean, I don't know. I, I think every player is concerned with flexibility, but I, it's, it's, it's different. It's when you start it and also, as you say, maybe just the innate body type and genetics. And I think, I think I, one thing. Joel, I, find, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you can go to a lot of academies all around the world 
and the focus is much more on strength building, cardio building. I mean, flexibility is unconventional. I, I, I would stand by that. And I don't know, yeah, maybe, maybe I, at the top of the professional game that they're starting to catch on. But I mean, I just don't think that there's a universal emphasis on flexibility. I think you might I, be right. Go on, Amy. I don't see um, Zverev or Medvedev doing the splits with the gymnasts. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to do a split. I'm a woman and I find that kind of thing very difficult to have that kind. It's something that you have to build up to. Um, and I think Jelena, Yelena, sorry, was, was saying that um, she was asked, what does Novak do like on his off day? And she said something like every spare minute that he has, he's on the floor stretching. I don't think the other players are doing that on their <laughs> off day. Well, right. So it's funny. And and the, and the younger ones, and I think your point about academies is great, Gil, because we're seeing with Novak what really strength, the role of flexibility. I'm going to give some credit to way back to the childhood of things like skiing as, a, as balance and posture. And there's, there's a certain, you know, Agassi went through this too with Gil Reyes, where earlier in his career, he worked on the strength part. But then as he aged, he was more on the flexibility and they've learned They've learned so much more even in the last 10 years about what strength and what, what it means to be strong for a tennis player. You know, there was a, there's upper body, there's more lower body. And, and you look at Novak, what a, it's just, it's just amazing. And I hope, I hope we learn more about what it truly was, what those stretches are. And again, so that academies work on this stuff and figure out how to get young players doing this. Yeah. Um, one point before we move on to Zverev, um, for me, it's just the, the Rublev head-to-head -head is, is fascinating because I, I did find it somewhat predictable. What does Rublev bring to the table? He's excellent at attacking righty backhands. He Just his patterns, it works very well for him. Novak, best backhand in the world. Um, and he's he delivers a lot of pace and he takes a lot of time away. And the ball comes fast when you play Rublev. There's just not a lot of time. He's hitting it hard. He's on top of the baseline. And Novak is one of those players. You can hit it as hard as you want. You, you know, thank, I'll use that pace. I, I don't care how hard you hit it. Uh, there's a certain thing with pace absorption. And honestly, Zverev and Medvedev have, have it as well. So you look at the top three seeds in this event, Zverev, Medvedev, Djokovic. Pace isn't really going to do it against them. You're going to have to bring something more to the table. And uh, that, as far as, again, re recreational players are concerned, what people are focused on, is pace important? 100%. But it's interesting, best three players in the world, not too bothered by it. Best three players in the world active right now at, at the Tour and Finals. That's an excellent point, but you also see, you see the limitations then of Rublev. You see Rublev hitting a wall because he basically has a fairly narrow set of skills because he's not much of a volleyer. He doesn't alter paces so he's just going to kind of throw some big punches and beat a hell of a lot of players i mean he's a fantastic player but again now you come up against these these bigger guys who are kind of good at both i mean you watch zverev is interesting and let's let's dig into him he's six foot six but and they're both six foot six but there's a whole there's a certain counter puncher aspect to both of them at times right they're kind of absorbing and then throw it back and then throw it big they are counter punchers i, I don't think i mean they just serve big. That's the only thing that's not very counterpuncher about it. No, I think they both have, a, you know, 
just watching the the last match with Medvedev, he can throw in an offensive shot, and so can Zverev with the forehand. Of course, um, I, th- there's a there's you know with tennis, it's always the push pull on the offense and defense, and knowing when to bring the offense and when to do the neutral and when to bring the defense, and I think. All three of those players, Djokovic, Zverev, and Medvedev, have an innate sense of this is when now's the time to bring the offense and pull the trigger. You don't think Zverev gets way too passive a lot of the time? Uh, well, I mean, he's uh, when he gets please nervous. Don't, please don't I'm... get mad at me, Zverev fans, but he's really one of my least favorite players to watch. Um, although I will say that he's coming to the net more. Um, I've noticed that in the last, I don't know, half a dozen matches. So at least that's varying things up and that's being more offensive, at least in terms of positioning, right? You're, um, you're coming into the court. So um, I haven't watched much of him in this current tournament. I, I really want to get a handle and see how he's playing. He gets passive a little bit on the forehand. It's like, a, I think Jim Carrier used this from Captain Cross Court. You know, he, yeah. he doesn't have... He doesn't have it, you know, contemporary pro tennis, you got to be able to hit big cross court and down the line. And that's different. That's different than recreational tennis. Recreational tennis, you rally from the baseline, mostly cross court by far. But in the big, we're talking big time pro tennis. And he's got the, he's got the big backhand down the line and the backhand, the two under cross court. But there is a part of me that sees him, you know, that whole, that whole dichotomy between Zvero's first serve and his second serve is so yeah. kind of mind blowing. I mean, he can serve, Oh yeah, I'll serve 130, and now I'm going to hit a, a 81 mile an hour second serve. Though, though how it gets hurt, and this is again we're look at Novak setting a little bit of a vanguard for. Okay, I'm going to return, and, and maybe I'll eventually come to net two, because the question the question in pro tennis is how much do you get punished by a weak second serve if people are hitting ground strokes deep in the middle of the court on slow courts anyway, on, on courts that aren't that fast. What does it mean to punish? So it's, we're, it's an interesting thing going on. You see these tall guys who kind of counter and punch. It's an interesting mix. Yeah, I, I agree. Zverev does get away with a lot of his slow second serves because he's, he's really good at recovering. Um, all right, the, the head-to-head between Djokovic and Zverev is 7-3 Novak. And Novak has won five out of the last six. But if you look at Zverev's three wins... Big three-set matches. That's the commonality. The first time they played 2017, Zverev was kind of a baby at this point, um, and people were proclaiming him to be uh, someone who was going to skyrocket to the, the the very elite ranks, which somewhat happened and somewhat didn't. But uh, Zverev beat Novak in the Rome Masters final in 2017. Then in 2018, the year-end championships this time, of course, in London, Zverev beats Djokovic in straight sets. And then this year in the semifinals of Tokyo, Novak wins the first set 6-1, um, and Zverev storms back midway through the second set, wins the next two 6-3, 6-1, ends Djokovic's hopes at Olympic gold. So those those three wins, all best of three sets, all really big matches uh, late in, in tournaments. It's kind of interesting this head-to-head, right? Because Djokovic has won five out of the last six, but it feels like Zverev has some important victories as well. 
Well, clearly you would say that Novak has the the advantage in a best of five scenario, but you know, this is the end of the year. Um, the, the whole scenario is kind of a rubber match right now because Novak has pretty much everything sewn up. I mean, that's another reason that you got to take your hat off to the guy. Like, how does he motivate himself at this point? He's got to be dead dog tired. And he's going out there and playing some phenomenal tennis. Um, but it, it the best of three scenario indoors somewhat equalizes things. So it, it should be a pretty good match. Um, again, I haven't been watching Zvera that much this tournament. So you guys would be able to say better what the preview the match. I don't think Novak's, I think Novak, he took a lot of time after the US Open. I don't think he's that tired. I think he played a tidy indoor event in Paris that he won and uh, I think he's feeling pretty darn good. I mean, he looked great and he's looked pretty fresh in, in his matches and these indoor things for, for all the stuff that deny the players about, you know, the sights and the sounds and the city and they have this kind of, you know, tunnel quality. The tennis stuff is nicely controlled, right? No elements, no sun, no wind. You just go out and hit some balls. I mean, I think he's looking pretty, pretty sharp. Uh, and again, you're right, he's sewn up year in number one and he's um but i think he'd like to win he'd like to win this title and i think what motivates some of these players is just winning today's match i mean i sometimes we look at yeah history and the big picture it's like you know i just want to beat this guy today yeah beat someone today mm -hmm. that's what i do mm -hmm. i like it yeah you don't wake up in the morning and, and think eh, maybe i'll lose maybe i'll lose today um i think that First of all, what, what worries me would be less fatigue, but more, uh, I've always been kind of dubious of uh, the motivation with Novak recently at this time of year, but he, he looks great so far. So uh, I don't know. I, I think you're right, Joel, about um, that being a factor, but also sometimes not as big a factor as, as we might think. But where I think he really gains an advantage with Zverev traditionally is just in the head. I mean, I mean that is it. I think, I think skill for skill, Zverev's actually a difficult matchup for Novak. He serves huge. Backhand to backhand, Djokovic can't really pick on that pattern like he can with most right-handers. And I think it can be a really, really good match. But when, when things get tense, Novak is so much better at handling that than Zverev. We saw in the fifth set at the U.S. Open, you know, start of the fifth set, tense moments, here we go. Chips are down, middle of the table, and Novak pulls ahead. So I don't know how Zverev's going to feel in a, in a semifinal like this. I feel like he could be very dangerous uh, because the stakes don't feel all that high for Sasha. I'm going to contrast Zverev with another tall guy who could trouble Novak and, 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 and had a different, a slightly different arsenal. Del Potro had this big forehand and that pushed Novak numerous times, such as at Wimbledon, they had a great match. Novak won it, but it was much more physical because of the severity of the of the Del Potro forehand, whereas Zverev, the forehand, it's one of those odd things. Sometimes he then misses, sometimes he doesn't pull the trigger as much. And then the problem, I think, when you have a weaker side that doesn't do as much for you, and then when you have the good side, maybe you overplay the good side. And I just think the whole, the whole, the whole cocktail mix for Zverev versus Novak is a little tricky because then, then the serving thing enters and how big do you serve? And now I got to serve a second serve. And again, Novak, this, this is a guy who knows how to really pin you with a deep, hard service return, Novak. So, so those little, 
those little tail of tape things that Novak does better, such as his forehand and his forehand to forehand and the backhand to backhand, even though it's equal, that's equal. It's not an upside. And then so Zverev, I think he starts to feel, I got to do a little bit more here, a little bit more than my backhand, a little more than my serve. And when you start to feel too many of those things, you start to maybe tip over. But, but indoors, fast court, it's going to be some good tennis. Mm-hmm. We look forward to that tennis, and that'll do it for this episode of Three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of Three.